Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. If you guys have a Bible, I'm going to finish our marker series. So you're here, um, and if you're here for the first time, we have been in a six-week series where we have been um, trying to anchor our community around six theological visions, or six cultural responsibilities for those that call the garden home, or six words that we're hoping that anyone that said, I'm a gardener, will wrap their life around because of the significance of what it means. We are all about Jesus. We are family. We are worshipers. We are here to live on mission. We are a spirit-filled church. And this morning, I want to talk about this idea that we are called to live generous lives for the sake of others. We are called to live generous lives for the city. And so I want to talk about generosity. And, and you know, when you look at Jesus and the spirit and worship and mission, um, you might think that this is out of place. But I actually think this is so important for the next season of our life as a church. It has marked us from the beginning. Um, and you see this all throughout scriptures, this concept. But I'm only going to take 20 minutes. That's it. I promise uh, to talk through this. And hopefully we'll baptize some people. Last service, we baptized four people. How cool is that? Amazing. New believers, and we had two people accept Jesus for the first time and rededicate their life to Jesus. That's amazing. So 11.15, I hope you're open for what's going on. So Acts chapter 2. And as you know, these particular passages have been kind of a framework for us as a church, as a church planner. They've been something that I've committed to seeing and hopefully seeing happen in the garden. But uh, this is written by a guy named Luke, and it's the first like recording of what the church looked like when it was started. So Jesus ascended into heaven after his resurrection. The Holy Spirit comes and fills the followers of Jesus with power and himself, his presence. And then Luke records this observation of what the church looked like. You with me? Acts 2.42. Are you guys with me? All right, there we go. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Go to Acts chapter 4, verse 32. I'm just going to show you two snapshots of the early church. uh, Chapter 4, verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy person among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. The picture of the early church is this spirit filled community. They're devoted to teaching, to prayer, to fellowship. But an observation that is written in the, in the book of Acts is that when the people of God come together, something happens to that community. They're, they're compelled with some type of force that makes them share their resources. Something is so profound among them. Their their vision for Jesus is so profound that those that have something um, share with those that don't have enough. That there are people in church right now in our our congregation right here that don't have enough for tomorrow. And that the the compelling story for them is that to belong to the church is for the church to show up and live generously for them. 
And here's the point that I want to make, that Luke records this on purpose, because generosity is noteworthy. Generosity is noteworthy. You take notes in your own life when somebody expresses extreme generosity to you. Do you not? How many of you can think of a time when someone expressed, they didn't just give to you, they were, they were overwhelmingly generous with you? Can we recall any of those stories? Do we remember those stories? I can tell you, and when I, when I talk about generosity this morning, I'm not just talking of, about money. But I am talking about money. But when we talk about generosity, we're talking about our lives being lived out generously for others. I'm talking about every source of resource you have. Your intellectual knowledge, your, 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 your relationships, the access you have to people, uh, your, your, your ability to see the world through your worldview and lens because you've had education and life experiences, your talents, your gifts, your personality traits, uh, your spiritual faith, all of the things that make you who you are is to be given away for the sake of others. That's called a generous life. That's what I'm talking about. I remember when I was uh, 19 years old, and I was at Vanguard University, and there were, there were, uh, there were rumors about uh, a particular professor who was like this soul doctor. He was like the professor that pastored the community. In fact, he was a full-time professor, and he was a full-time pastor. And everyone that was in the, the program that was, I was in was talking about how significant this man had been in their lives. And I was a transfer student, so I didn't understand how do you, how do you build a relationship with a professor. I went to UCSB before that, and our classrooms were like a 1,000 people at times. And so I had no idea that I could have a relationship with a professor, but they talked about it. So I took a class with him. I decided to sign up for a class, and it was spiritual disciplines. And my life began to change. He began to, to from, the, from the classroom, he began to, to minister to me in ways that I can't even explain. And, and I, at the end of like this eight-week class or this 12-week class, near the end of it, I remember like walking up and I was thinking he was going to come to me because I was special. And he was going to, you know, hey, I've noticed your work. Your papers are amazing. Your disciplines of the spirit are profound. You are. No, I was expecting something like that, but it wasn't. So I finally mustered enough courage to go to him. And I said, hey, I hear that you you meet with students. And I was wondering maybe if possibly maybe if you have time, if I'm quite good enough or whatever it is that you would meet with me. I was so insecure. And um, he said he pulls out his calendar and gives me seven different times. And he says, let's meet. And and then he took me to coffee and paid for it and began to share his life with me and pastor me. And that's Bill Doctrum. That's the other teaching pastor. I developed a relationship with him when I was 19 years old. And he began to walk me through life and pastor me through some of the harder seasons of my life. And he's always and he's here with us. And and I, I, I watched this man live a generous life. And he'll never say this about himself, but he lives generously with his time. He gives his life away to students that need him. He lives generously with his finances. I can tell you he's a generous steward of his resources. His skills, his, everything about him show, is, is a model for me of generosity. I remember when I was 18 years old and I was going to UCSB and I had nothing for school. My, my parents divorced. My mom was working two jobs. I had saved enough money to pay for school. And I was going to school without any of the resources I needed, without bedding, without like toothpaste and stuff outside of the house. I needed a computer and I had nothing. And my mom was committed to praying all summer 
her for this. And um, the, literally the week before I was moving, a woman, a, an acquaintance of hers came to her and said, I heard you have a son going off to college and you need some help. I would like to help you. And she proceeded to buy me an iBook and everything I possibly needed to travel to UCSB and live on my own because God had spoken to her. I remember that story and it impacted me in such a way that I can't help but tell her story because generosity is noteworthy. You notice when people live in a way that just overflows with love and grace and generosity. This is what the church looked like when it began. It was so compelling. Their vision of Jesus was so compelling that they saw that they made sure that nobody among them had needs. I remember when I was uh, last year, this year, Ezra went to the hospital. I've shared this story before. Ezra was in the hospital for uh, RSV. He was sick for four days and then we had to incubate him in our house. And it was a terrifying time. We thought he would almost, he almost died. There's brain damage, all sorts of pain. And then we, we left that and we were terrified. Alex and I were terrified of sickness. It was during flu season. We were, we were afraid that his seven week old immune system was shot and he'd have long term effects. And Alex, we, we've shared this before too. She started developing a, a really bad depression and uh, postpartum or PTSD because of the trauma. And we were alone in our home and we were praying through the season. And it was one of those days, you know, after a few weeks of this, where it was just, you don't want to go through another day. Have you ever been like the end of your rope? There's no way it can get any harder than this, God. You have to show up. Have you ever had that experience where you just, you're living in turmoil, you're living in this sense of despair, like something's got to give. And a knock on our door that evening. And Zach, one of our elders, came in and he handed me a, a bag full of letters from the Garden Church. And there were stories of life transformation. Stories of people saying they're praying for us. Gift cards to restaurants so that we didn't have to worry about that stuff as we were going through this really difficult season. And that moment was the determining factor. The, 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 the marker in the road. The moment that we went from despair to hope. The change happened. And we, the depression started to uplift and our lives began to heal. Because the community of God that we were a part of cared generously for us. I took note of your generosity. Have you experienced generosity like this? It's noteworthy. You notice when people are generous. Here's the point. You also notice when people are stingy and greedy. How many of you have sat in that awkward kind of uh, end of a meal with a bunch of friends and you're all kind of divvying up the bill and you're like, hey, you're, you're now responsible to collect the money from everyone. And you're like, hey, did everyone, you know, add 20% for tip and, you know, add X amount of dollars for the, uh, the tax. Uh, make sure you got your appetizer. I, I only got a water. Some of you got some beverages. And then you're like giving the, you know, subtle hints. And at the end of it, everyone knows about the one person that didn't put in enough. Have you been there? You you took note of their stinginess. We have to be marked by generosity. People are watching. And here's why. Generosity is not just noteworthy, but generosity uh, reveals something to other people. Jesus says in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 that the purpose of the church is to What? To receive the Holy Spirit. You'll receive power when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. To be my witnesses, he says. To Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. The point of the church is to bear witness to the resurrection of Jesus. And witness is one way to say is to live your life in such a way that it points people to Jesus. 
Your generosity points people to Jesus. The way you handle your finances and resources, your talents, your skills, points people to the type of God that you worship. Your stinginess and greed points people to the kind of God that you worship. Do you know this? How you deal with your your life's resources reveals naturally the God that you worship. And if you don't believe me, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I'm going to prove it to you. 2 Corinthians, Paul um, is writing to a church and he's basically collecting funds for a church halfway around the world for, for Corinth. Uh, in Jerusalem, actually. That's going through severe persecution, famine and suffering. Where the movement of Christianity started, uh, the, uh, they begin to suffer tremendously. And so Paul, as an apostle and church planner who's planted churches all over the Roman Empire, he goes and starts collecting money. And you know what the Christians did in the first century? They began to give out of their poverty or wealth to church, uh, churches and Christians in another part of the world because that's what it means to be a Christian. When, when our brothers and sisters are suffering and we have the means, we, we give graciously above and beyond so that they don't have to suffer. That's what the church did in the first century. Can you believe that? Compelling witness. And Paul was writing to this wealthy church. Corinth was wealthy. And uh, uh, he, Paul just visited a very, very poor church. And they, they gave above and beyond what Paul even thought was imaginable. They were living in poverty themselves. But they, they said, hey, you're collecting. I heard you're collecting some money for the people that are suffering. And God's doing something. And we want to be a part of what God's doing. Despite Paul recognizing that they were in poverty themselves, they gave, a, they gave out of their poverty a generous wellspring offering to this church in Jerusalem. And then Paul's going to this very wealthy church, a very you know, sophisticated church, and, and, and he could shame them into giving, but that's not what he does. Look at what Paul does to motivate them to give. He said, and he's talking about finances, verse 6 of chapter 8, uh, verse 7. But since you excel in everything... In faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and in the love that we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich." Look at what Paul does. He doesn't shame them. He doesn't compare them. But what he does is he begins by affirming them. You guys have excelled in in knowledge, in love, in service. He affirms the community. You guys are doing such an amazing job. And then he encourages them. I want you to excel. And he says, the grace of giving. Now, grace is a unique word to talk about with giving. He says, because grace simply means uh, God enabling you to do what you could never do on your own. Grace is God enabling you to do what you can never do on your own. And he says, I want you to excel in this thing that God's going to give you called giving. He's going to empower it in your life. And then he goes and, he, and, he, and the motivation is fascinating. The motivation is the gospel. Uh, the gospel. The motivation uh, for why we give is to look at the kind of God we worship and respond accordingly. Jesus, who was rich, became poor so that in his poverty we might become rich in every way. God sent his one and only son 
for you. Jesus took your place on the cross. He's given everything. The model is Jesus's life. And because of what he's done, our response is to follow his suit, to follow the model of Christ, which is simply to live generously for others. Are you with me? He motivates the church to really question what type of God do you worship? It's not, here's our financial needs, here's our vision statement, here we're we're raising funds for a building, Uh, we're in a tight situation financially. That's not the motivation in this. It's not pictures of people starving. That's not the motivation. It's the picture of Christ for you. He's given everything to you, for you, to empower you. And generosity becomes the only response to that. A life that is overflowing and given away for others. That's how Paul encourages and motivates the church to show you how we ought to live in the church. This is why Luke records there were no needs among them because they didn't know what else to do but to give everything they have back. And I mean how you handle your finances. I mean your resources. I mean your skills as a teacher, your, your knowledge as a teacher, your, your graphic design skills, your, your parenting skills. I mean every aspect of your soul uh, needs to be looked at and thought through in a way that reflects the God that you worship. And so as Paul starts with affirmation, I just want to speak to our community This morning, in a very tangible way, I just want to affirm you in the last five years. Some of you have just shown up in the last year. Some of you have been here for three. In the last five years, we have seen some amazing things. You've done amazing things. A couple of things. We've baptized over 100 people in five years for a church plant. That's that's applaud applaud worthy. That's... That's insane, I think, for a church that's about 500 on a Sunday. Over 100 people have been baptized as believers. That's amazing. That's, uh, I mean, if you study church, 85% fail within the five years. Okay? We have given away 200, over $200,000 through First Fruits in the last five years. $200,000 have been given away to plant churches locally and globally, to missionaries around the world, to local ministries and local nonprofits. We have given money to those within our community that don't, didn't have enough. We paid for their rent. We paid for, paid for medical bills. We paid for food. We helped those in need. We have cared for the local orphans. We have done amazing with our finances. We have stewarded steward, You have stewarded your resources well. And we were able to empower $200,000 to be given away for God's kingdom. That's amazing that means we've handled over two million dollars in the last five years and resource gave away 10 percent of that how amazing is that we've planted over 17 community groups this year alone not including the community groups in the past we have seen families taken care of more and more people come to know jesus we have done some amazing things we have watched new people come to jesus we have um we have taught on the holy spirit and watched people have their lives transformed we have loved well we have contextualized the gospel to a city we have cared for franklin and there's so much more in the future but we have to recognize we've done an amazing job you have done an amazing job but i want to encourage you because i believe the next five years it's going to be wild it's going to be an adventure story god is in god is calling us into an amazing season i feel like we're just getting started this is this is like day one long beach is a frontier Less than 10% of the uh, people in Long Beach, living in Long Beach, go to church. This is a frontier, and we are all pioneers. 
We're all pioneers to what's next. We're all pioneers to effectively minister to the season, or to the city. But I want to say this, that the future effectiveness of our mission in the city is directly linked to the collective individual commitment to generosity. Our effectiveness on mission depends on our commitment to living generous lives for the sake of others. Our effectiveness is not our, our, our growth and our impact in the city is not going to happen because we get good at graphic design and we have a social media campaign and we do great videos. Those are all great. It is, it is simply this, that you and your spouse, your, your roommates, those that, that come to the garden, live around this idea that it's all about him and our lives are to be generously poured out for the sake of others. Your generosity, your financial generosity, your resources given out to others will have a spiritual impact on this future, uh, the future of the city. Do you believe it? I believe it. I, I want to invite you into a better story, into a greater story, to see yourselves as pioneers and church planners, to reach the lost, to bring the kingdom of God, to care for the orphans and the widows, to see yourself uh, on a sailboat with a task to partner with us in what we're trying to do in the city and the cities around us. We're going to plant churches as a church. I believe we'll plant lots of churches in our, in our years to come. All over the place. People are watching us. They're looking at us. And I, they're not looking at, at the programs. They're looking at the people and how we live amongst ourselves. And I pray one day as our story is written, somebody will say there were no needs among them because they lived a generous life in reflection to who they thought God was. Generosity is the key. In a consumeristic, self-focused, money-driven culture, generosity is the most effective way to reveal the resurrected Jesus Christ. When the world is telling us it's about what you make and how much you have, and we say, no, it's about who made everything and how much he's given us, the world will see a living witness to, to the resurrected Jesus. So I want to invite you to live generously. And I'll close with this. Almost 20 minutes. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul gives instructions on how we can live generously today, how it begins for us. So if you want to take on this challenge and learn to live a life of generosity, here are a couple of things Paul says. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Now, verse 10, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Paul's argument is simply this. If you want to live a life of generosity, you have to decide in your heart to live generously. It starts with a choice that you will choose to live generously. And where, do you, where it goes from this is, is he says God del- loves a cheerful giver. And the word cheerful is where we get the word hilarious, uh, a joyful giver. God loves a joyful, hilarious giver. But it also means somebody who's ready, 
Somebody who's ready to give on any occasion. There's a sense of readiness and urgency with their giving. So you have to decide what it is you're going to give. Your time, your talent, your resources, your calendar. Will you make an impact in a college student's life by listening to them at a coffee shop? And change the course of their lives. Will you be like Todd, some of us, where we just say we have to bless the next generation and give everything we've received to them. You have those resources in your life. Will you look at the brother next to you and say, do you have a need that I can meet? And do it cheerfully, joyfully. When those buckets pass, it becomes a a time of celebration for us. A reminder of all that God has given to us. It becomes what, uh, an important reality that we begin to accept the fact that it all comes from Him. And so if you want a life of generosity, you have to decide. You have to uh, choose to live uh, joyfully. But here's where it starts. If you want to start living generously, you have to start with gratitude. You will not be a generous person unless you're full of gratitude. Gratitude is the recognition that all of it comes from God. Everything about you is a gift from Him. And you are called to steward it. And, and do with it in, in a way that will honor Him. It starts with generosity. The second thing I want to just clear up about gener- generosity is this. Uh, if you want to start living a generous life, generosity isn't about giving from what you don't have. It's about giving from what you do have. It's not about how much you give. It's not about, oh, I'll, I'll start living generously when I get the job and when I have, you know, a, a bigger income. It will never be enough for you to live generous, generously. Generosity has nothing to do with an amount. You can be rich, but poor in spirit. But you can be poor and generously rich. And I, 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 there's a girl, I heard her story, and she took the... Um, financial peace class and one of the things that they teach in the financial peace class is to work to a place where you can tithe now the tithe is an old testament concept it's not commanded in the new testament it's where you give 10 percent of your income to the church um and, and i believe that all followers of jesus should get to that point if they can and i don't think that's living generous just so you know I believe Jesus teaches way above and beyond a tithe. But tithe is the baseline. I tell everyone when I do a a premarital counseling, I say you guys need to work on saving 10% and tithing 10%. That's just baseline. We live below our means because it's not ours. It's his. We're going to get an account for our money. Right? You guys with me? Are we okay with that? I I made some people mad. It's okay. (laughs) This girl is in the class. It was Alyssa. She's right up here. And I love this story. But this is what she told me. She's leading the financial peace class now. She said, when I first started, the idea of going to 10% was just outrageous. But she said she would commit to raising her giving, which was like 1.45% or something. It was like 1.5% of her income. That's all she was giving as a teacher. And she said, all right, God, I'm going to do it. And every month I'll increase it by 1%. And she did. She, in a year, she got up to over 10%. And now she's leading the financial peace class. Because for her, it's not about the money. It's about freedom. And you can see it in her life. It's about being debt-free and helping other people become debt-free and learn to live the biblical principles of tithing, which has empowered her life. She tells story after story of how God provided when she wasn't working. That was the only time where she wasn't able to tithe, but money came back from a bill that she overpaid. Who does that? At urgent care. God blesses her in that story. And I love that story because she was at one point something percent and committed to God. And now she's teaching others. She's giving it away. Is that not the model? She deserves a round of applause for that. I love you. I love hearing this. You can't, 
You can have lots of money and give money, but still be stingy. Do you know that? You can have no money at all and be overflowing with generosity. You don't learn generosity when you have more than enough. You learn generosity when you don't have enough. I want to invite you to do this. You can do it, but only through the grace of God. I want to invite you to live generously. So that five years from now, we said we went for it. We went for it. I went for it with my finances. I went for it with my talent. I went for it for the sake of God. And now look at the people that are behind us that are coming along because of your generosity. I want to invite you to be generous, to live a life of generosity. At the garden, we're all about Jesus. We're family. We live on mission. We are passionate worshipers. We are a spirit-filled church. And we are generous. I'm a gardener. You? Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.